Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is a special episode here to interrupt your normal listening schedule. I wanted to discuss a topic that is not only important to me, but should be important to every single person listening and is of absolute dire importance to about half the population. I'm talking about men, and more specifically, men and mental health. At the risk of sounding dramatic, I gotta tell you, we're facing an epidemic. First, let me start with some disclaimer stuff, okay? This is a tough topic in a lot of circles for a variety of reasons. For one, men are on the wrong side of a lot of things happening worldwide, but especially in the US. Men are at the center of the Me Too movement. Men are the people in power in a lot of problematic spaces. And when there's an active shooter situation or a school shooting, the person holding the gun is always a male. Nothing that we're going to cover today is going to be excusing any of these horrendous acts, but instead, we're going to try to peel back the events themselves and look at the broad topic that addresses the root of all of these things, and that's mental health. Predatory behavior, acts of aggression, acts of violence, they all stem from mental health issues. Now, whether or not you believe that people can be born bad or whether that's nurtured into them or it's a combo situation, I think we can all agree that no little boy blows out the candles on his birthday cake at three years old and wishes to be a violent predator when he grows up. And acts against others is just one piece of this, because as we've seen in recent news stories, unfortunately, men are killing themselves at alarming rates. Suicide in general has been on the rise and men kill themselves three and a half times more than women. And that's not to say women don't try to kill themselves. They actually, women attempt suicide more than men, but men complete suicide three and a half times more than women because they choose, you guessed it, more violent means. The bottom line is men need help. So let's take those ideas and add some context to this episode. To do that, we'll go back a couple years to when I was finishing my undergrad. I was studying this idea of men in therapy because I am a man and I am in therapy. But I didn't see a lot of other men in there with me. There was an obvious lack of male therapists and male clients. It certainly wasn't representative of the population. And that got me curious. If therapy was so great for me, why weren't more men seeking it out? Throughout my research, one name kept popping up as I read through academic journals and studies. That name was Dr. Aaron Rocklin. My name is Dr. Aaron Rocklin. I'm a clinical professor now at the University of Texas at Austin in our counseling psychology program. I've been a tenure track professor, um, up to full professor, and recently made this transition to a clinical professor. I'm also a licensed psychologist who specializes in working with men. Dr. Rocklin was an author, co-author, or contributing author on just about every journal article I came across on the subject of men and their help-seeking patterns, or lack thereof. In fact, Aaron has been published dozens of times in multiple academic and psychological journals over the last 20 years. So when I wanted to discuss this global issue, he seemed like a pretty good person to get a hold of. So to get this episode rolling, let's look at some definitions. First, masculinity, right? Masculinity seems to be at the root of the entire idea of what makes a man. These universal traits that translate into what identifies someone as a man or man-like that when overdone become something we've been calling toxic masculinity. But since I literally have the expert here, let me ask you, Dr. Rockland, how do you define masculinity? 
Sure, great question. And uh, it's the million dollar question. Uh, masculinity is a slippery concept because I think it means different things to different people. But to me, somewhat informally, it means messages around what it means to be a man and to enact a presentation or behavior like one considers they should. Masculinity, I, I sometimes like that word masculinity because of the word mask. I feel like it's kind of the the mask that a lot of men feel they need to put on to, to fit into certain kind of cultural norms. On the other hand, it's not all negative and toxic. There's a lot of amazing components to being men and and attributes and psychological features associated with masculinity that can be very positive. So it's a complicated uh, term. I think it's also relevant to point out in the academic literature, the move has been to describe it more as masculinities, which implies there's not one singular form of masculinity. In fact, one of the big journals that I've contributed to and follow used to be called the Psychology of Men and Masculinity. And now it's called the psychology of men and masculinities, which, while it might seem like a small change, is actually a big one. I could say more about uh, what that concept means, but I think the beauty of it is it should and does mean different things to different men and women. There's a lot of stuff to unpack in that definition, but a few major areas I want to make sure we touch on. First, the idea of the mask. This is the idea also expressed in the 2015 documentary on the same subject titled The Mask You Live In. I don't know a man that cannot relate to the idea of who you are and how you present yourself to different groups of people, depending on how they are presenting to you. The other piece in that definition that I think is important to mention is the idea that masculinity means different things to different people. And how each of us define it is dependent on how we were raised, what kind of environment we grew up in and society at large. Overall, what we're talking about here is identity. How do we identify? What kind of quote-unquote man do we want to be? If masculinity is a scale, does our number change from one group to another? What about at home? What about when we're alone? Masculinity, of course, is not the only thing to consider when thinking about men. In fact, it might help us to define that term as well. So Aaron, what's a man? Ooh, that's a that's an even tougher question than the first one. It does make me think of just kind of the the basic but important distinction that I think a lot of people sometimes miss the boat on. Of, of I think sex makes a man in general, biological sex. Other than that, uh, masculinity and what it means to man means different things to different people, and has I believe positively involved in a lot of ways. I think. Being a man for a long time meant kind of John Wayne model of masculinity and, you know, not sharing emotions, not expressing emotions, competitiveness, winning, being powerful over women of fear of femininity, you know, hom homophobia, concerns about closeness with other men and what that meant. But masculinity and being men are also connected with concepts around courageousness and teamwork and support and providing. I think the concept of providing now means very different things than it did 20, 30, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't really believe in the concept of act like a man because I think it should bring up question marks for exactly what that means yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to different people. Um, you know, it definitely still means something, but I think it's a good thing that our culture, both academically and socially, have begun to question 
the the usefulness of what it means. I like to think that's true. I mean, that's why I'm doing this episode, right? To question what that means and more importantly, challenge your own individual beliefs of what that means. You, the listener, it's a complex topic and a complex subject and there've probably been more books and studies on it in the last couple of decades than ever before. So let's start there. Let's use those definitions from Dr. Rockland of masculinity and men and begin to break things down. I want to push you to think about what those words mean to you and how they play roles in your own identity. Challenge yourself. Then we'll talk more with Dr. Rockland and find out what we can do to get more men into therapy and what methods of therapy are working better than others. With our discussion so far, you may have started to do some self-evaluation, or maybe you're thinking about your partner, your father, your brother. Awareness is so important that I would like to invite you to take a minute and do a little exercise. If you're driving, you know, just make a little mental list. But for the rest of us, get a little piece of paper out or open up your notes app. I want you to pause this episode and write down two lists. In the first list, write down what words you associate with masculinity. And in the other list, write down the words you associate with men. There are no wrong answers here. I'll take a beat and let you pause. And then when you've listed four or five things for each list, hit play and we'll keep going. So if you participated here, you should have a nice little list that can act as your own definition of men and masculinity. Now here's the fun part. Ask yourself why you made those associations. For example, if you listed something like stoic or strong, why did you put that? Do those words describe your father or role model? What would you think of someone who presented in a way other than that or in direct opposite of that? This exercise is reflective of my greatest passion, which is figuring out why we are who we are. Where do our patterns and viewpoints come from? A lot of behaviors and thought patterns we have as adults are direct results of protective measures we took as children, and it's important to ask if these are serving us now. I'll give you an example in my own life. For most of my life, I would rather break up a vulnerable moment with a joke. A lot of you that know me know that. I would rather be known as the funny guy than give up some sort of information about myself, even if it was just my feelings. When I broke that down, I realized I'd built up these walls because when I was younger and being bullied and verbally and emotionally abused, those pieces of information or moments of vulnerability always acted as ammunition for my bully to throw back at me. You see this in a lot of circles of men in my generation, and even more so in my parents' generation. If you showed signs of vulnerability, sensitivity, or femininity, you were called a pussy or gay or a queer, or worse, you may have been physically abused for those same sentiments. You are being told in no uncertain terms, it is not safe to feel these things or express yourself in this way. That lesson will shape who you are and is a huge roadblock for men. Not only are men expected to solve their own problems, but they're taught not to discuss those problems either or face severe retaliation if they do. So what do we do about this? If therapy is being vulnerable and discussing your problems, the thing men are taught never to do, how do you get more men into therapy? Well, I think sometimes it's reframing, and I do this some. I have a good friend and colleague, Fred Rabinowitz, who kind of, he's a master at this, actually. But, well, first of all, getting men in the door is uh, one thing. But, but I think it's it's reframing that to thinking about 
working on self as a side of strength and as a courageous act, it's difficult to do. It's not therapy usually is not very fun. Sometimes it's insight generating and that can be rewarding, but it's very it's, you know, it's a lot more fun to watch the game and, you know, forget about your problems for a while. So I think a lot of guys uh, respond well to validation of the move they're making to work on themselves to become better, more complete people and partners and and sons and fathers yeah. and better at work or more successful at it, however they might define that. So getting uh, most people respond well to the idea of like, there's benefits with being a better person <laughs> and getting some resolution to problems. It is hard traditionally for a lot of guys to think that they can't solve their problems by themselves. I love this idea of reframing it. Therapy is still a stigma in a lot of cultures and social circles. Even those people who have the attitude of, I think therapy is great for those who need it, usually have an unsaid second part of that sentiment, which is, but I don't need it. I also want to emphasize what Dr. Rockland says there about therapy being hard. Anyone who has done therapy can usually attest to this, right? If you think of how hard therapy can be by itself, imagine adding that extra layer of difficulty in regard to showing vulnerability. It's like, yeah, the work you're going to do in therapy is going to be hard, but for a lot of guys, just the buildup to be open and vulnerable is hard. It's a scary thing. But there is hope and there's some evolution happening with each new generation of men. I think where it's evolved some that I've seen it most is in terms of help seeking and in terms of men being more comfortable being vulnerable in the presence of other men and women. I think it's evolved some positively in terms of men being more open and recognizing mental illness as something real. I think the other changes I've seen is that our society and our training program, we're not defaulting to a model of thinking that girls are, or women are better at listening or better, you know, therapists. You know, it's similar if you, if you have also done a lot of research on parenting, you know, for a long time, fair or unfair, I'd say probably unfair, <laughs> that we kind of default to the idea of, of mom being the best parent and made change. But that's kind of the, the parenting kind of comes naturally to women, mothers, and less naturally to men, fathers. And I think that's changed some. And similarly, there's that idea that men can be very good at being empathic and good listeners and good question askers and can be the more nurturing, supportive ones. Maybe parenting comes more easily to them. So, you know, there there are some positive changes. And, and I also think, and this is why your question at the beginning is an excellent question, but it's also very difficult. I think more people are asking themselves exactly what, what does this mean? You know, I feel like I dress masculine, but what does masculinity mean yeah. to me? And how do I enact it? So it's a good thing, actually, that we have less answers. As many of you know, I'm in grad school right now to become a licensed therapist because I believe that therapy is so powerful and that everybody can benefit from it. That's why I'm so proud to have BetterHelp sponsor this show. 
You know, we all have times when we want to talk to somebody and going to someone professional can be much more rewarding and beneficial than just maybe talking to your friends, right? Maybe there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving some goals. You know, I've spent some time in therapy myself and I have gotten so much from it and my life has gotten so much better because of it. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, maybe even me one day. And there's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 15,000 plus therapist network. And that may not be locally available in many areas. And that's why it's available for clients worldwide through BetterHelp. When you sign up, you can start communicating within 48 hours. Uh, you know, you get those light bulb moments when you're laying in bed. With BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule your weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. No awkward therapist breakups if you're not a match. It's a more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. I checked that out myself. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp wants you, and so do I, to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com slash friendrequest. That's Better H-E-L-P, and join the one million... Oh, Nope, over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional therapist. There's a special offer for friend request listeners. You get 10% off your first month of therapy when you visit betterhelp.com slash friend request. That's betterhelp.com slash friend request. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support our show. There's a sentiment that is echoed by people in the mental health field all over the world. And in conversations with Dr. Rockland, I've heard him mention it before too. And that is the people who need therapy the most are usually the people least likely to seek it out. This is a tough pill to swallow and the presenting problem to a lot of the tragedies I mentioned at the top of the episode. Very rarely do you hear about a suicide victim or gunman and read the line, he was in therapy for depression and anger. The people who need help the most are the least likely to seek it out. So how do we fix the problem? How do we present help in a way that's more accessible and appealing to a man that's struggling? Yeah, that is uh, reaching the men that uh, that are most in need and making it more accessible and making it more male-friendly. I think part of it is also like people perceive therapists and maybe with some validity as like sitting down and asking about your feelings and saying, you know, just being an excellent listener and supportive, but not really doing anything. And uh, I think a lot of men are driven towards more action oriented advice giving approaches to therapy. There is a recognition that therapy is not, it's not perfect and it doesn't work for all. In fact, I can say, I this hit me a little bit when I was a grad student there's like a little bit of, I don't know if I want to call it bias, but like that if you have a very verbal, very expressive and very insightful client that like that's a good one, like that's a good client. And so what happens when the man across the room from you is not like that, <laughs> you know, like how, do we just keep doing what we're trained to do and subscribe to the bottles and effective ways of listening and 
and and helping and healing. They're not bad and they have some empirical validation. But, you know, sometimes we do need to adapt what we do to fit the needs of our clients. And I think that's the case around not just, you know, working with maybe traditional men, but working with men and women who maybe don't subscribe to an ideal type of of client that makes therapy easy and effective early. Adapting. Yes, we are, after all, asking for our population to evolve in their way of thinking. So why can't we evolve in how we provide help? That is something Dr. Rockland has written extensively about and practiced himself. Therapy that is more action-oriented and outside the box. This concept is a little foreign to me, as I'm a product of typical talk therapy. Sitting in an office across from someone and talking, digging in, trying to define meaning and feeling... But I also know a lot of men who think that sounds like some form of torture. So I have to think about what else is out there. And two different forms of therapy that seem to be more beneficial to men, especially those resistant to traditional therapy, are group therapy and walk therapy. The former I'm familiar with from movies, if nothing else. Also, coming from a sober world, a group of guys discussing their feelings isn't too far-fetched. The latter, however, I just learned about in the last few months, and Dr. Rockland is a practitioner of, So let's break these down a little bit. First, group therapy. Why is it so effective for men? There's something very, very powerful and effective about being with other guys and being vulnerable and connecting with other men in a therapeutic setting. And sometimes the most significant insight, and I've seen this happen in my own life, significant insight and progress can be made sitting in a group while actually not talking <laughs> while listening and and helping someone else um and you don't get that in individual therapy and maybe you get that in family therapy but i think that's harder in a group therapy you're going to have you know some some maybe difficult or reluctant characters in there but i think that just the diversity in the group both in and ter- using diversity in a very broad sense because diversity in terms of age and ethnic racial identity and religion all, all that disability status that kind of diversity but also just diversity in terms of one's willingness or openness to be be vulnerable and share and work on self serves as such an effective model because if that guy's like pretty cool and like i'm hanging out with him talking about the michigan ohio state game before therapy starts and then therapy starts and we see him doing that i can take some chances too and i think it's just extremely effective it can also be kind of playful you know and i think that guys you know the concept of male bonding (laughs) It's like a kind of a silly word and combination, but it's been around and used for a long time, (laughs) probably has some kind of real purpose. And when you can use that male bonding in, in a therapy setting, it can help overcome some of those significant barriers that we know about in a lot of men's psyches. This idea made me laugh, and not because it doesn't make sense, but because it is so telling of the type of men I do not relate to. If you were to go back to episode 109, I interviewed my brother-in-law, Andrew, and we got into the weeds with me asking him about his relation to sports and how it was such an interest in a conversation starter. And reframing that conversation with this lens now, I can see that those shared interests in society-approved masculine behaviors, in this case 
sports are doors that can potentially open up deeper conversations in the right provided setting. I can understand how this can be easier for a lot of men to open up, especially if there is a shared theme. When you think of someone dealing with grief, attending a grief support group, you already have that in common with everyone there, right? Add into that the small talk about the game beforehand, and there's a level of camaraderie you might not feel in an office setting as a client with a tissue box in front of you. I get it. The other one that Aaron mentioned and is a practitioner of is walk therapy. This is getting outside, meeting someone in a park or an event, and doing therapy there. Obviously, there are some risk factors to take into consideration there, but again, it seems to be a preferred method for a lot of men as an alternative to sitting in an office. But I have to wonder why that is. I think, first of all, and this isn't just me, this is research and medically informed, you could say, is it is therapeutic to be outdoors in nature. It is therapeutic and healthy to move and exercise. Generally go for slow walks, but sometimes we speed it up and I like to go at the pace my clients want. And that's important kind of physically, but it's a nice metaphor, I think, for our work that, you know, I'm going at the pace that they want (laughs) physically and psychologically, which is really important. Um, So you're automatically, even if I'm the worst therapist in the world, I'm my clients are already feeling a little better being outside and and moving. You know, so I'm I'm not the worst therapist in the world, but I, I got two things going for me already that I don't if I'm sitting inside face to face across from my client. I can definitely see the common sense here on a couple levels. First off, exercise. Any of you that listen to my self-care summer series knows that exercise in any form is a direct enemy of depression. Get those endorphins working. Then Dr. Rocklin talks about something that comes up in a lot of my program And that is meeting the client where they're at. And like he mentioned, that is a metaphor for how successful therapy is done too. Meeting them where they are mentally and emotionally, but in this case, physically as well. A couple things I'll add. First of all, I feel as the therapist, I'm more effective. I'm more creative. I feel more fluid almost when I'm moving. I feel relaxed. I feel in tune with my clients. I am a better therapist moving. So that's one thing I've become aware with that. And that's lovely. And maybe that helps a little bit. (laughs) Why it's why I think it's well received for clients is a little bit of a different direction. I think it's well received for them because of the outdoor and exercise components. But also, I think men feel comfortable moving with their clients side by side, not staring at them. Um, If there is a moment, you know, where they get teary eyed or um, flood with emotions, I'm not like just staring at them or awkwardly, you know, waiting for a mood change or handing them a Kleenex. There's nothing really wrong with that, I will add. But I think a lot of guys might feel uncomfortable with that. I think also... There's something about being outdoors that leads to openness. I don't know why that is exactly, but openness and vulnerability is a space, a psychological space that we want to be in as clients. And as therapists, it sure is helpful when our clients get there. We can do deeper, more significant work. And and moving is and being outdoors is helpful in getting there.
Before we say goodbye today, I wanted to give you some more context to why I put this episode together. First of all, there's the obviousness of me being a man and in therapy and in school to be a therapist. Of course, this topic interests me. But the other side of it is how obvious it is to me and how obvious I want to make it for all of you. In my classes, there's about one man for every five or six women. That doesn't even take into account what kind of therapy or counseling they want to do. It's just not a field you see a lot of men in, which is ironic because it began with nothing but a bunch of white men, but that's for another time. I'm also surrounded by men who have struggled and are still struggling. Men who would rather kill themselves than talk about how they're feeling, and that's so incredibly fucked up. My dad was in pain for most of his life, and he chose to numb that pain with alcohol, which eventually killed him. In his 20s and into his 30s, my brother would only tell me he loved me or show any real vulnerability when he was significantly drunk. My friends that are having issues with their relationships or being a father don't talk to me about it, but I hear about it third-hand from their wives. We need to create a space where it's okay for men to talk about how they're feeling. We need to take away the stigma around getting help and mental illness and Stop putting labels on those things and making them scary or making people feel bad. And if you're a man listening to this and you have that tiny little voice in your head shouting at the top of its lungs, telling you to listen to me, listen to that voice. Seeing a therapist is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you have something wrong with you. It's allowing yourself to be who you are behind that mask, underneath that persona you were told as a kid you had to be. Therapy is a judgment-free zone. That's a better deal than you'll get from your friends, believe me. Finally, I wanted to address the dozens and dozens of people who have pulled me aside or asked my wife to ask me or messaged me directly and said, how do I get my partner into therapy? I asked Dr. Rockland that same question. Well, first of all, know that uh, you're in good company with that question. It's been a question <laughs> asked by women for generations. So, <laughs> so you're you're not silly for wondering how to best do that. And and same thing goes for for couples counseling. I actually think maybe the move for women to talk with their men about the benefits of couples counseling at some level is maybe a little easier. And sometimes it can be a it can be a nice foot in the door to opening up and seeing the benefits of therapy in general. And I know a lot of men and have been um, referred some men who have like kind of done well in couples counseling or maybe even not done so well and been like, I want to try individual because I really want to focus on myself. So that's one idea. But then how to sell it, how to manage it. Well, first of all, openly sharing and being vulnerable yourself in terms of how you in this situation have benefited from working on yourself in a, in a therapeutic sense and being like, have, and just being intriguing and non-judgmental about it. Hey, my, my big client seems to be named Sam today. Hey, Sam, you know, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever thought about going to therapy, you know, and, and working on yourself? Some, I'm really curious. I, I have, and uh, I know some things that keep coming up for us are around this, this, and this. And for me, they're this, 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 and this. And I know I need to keep working on those. I mean, men and people in general don't respond well to you have a problem. This is how I see your problem. This, this, and this. They may respond better to um, this is what I love about you. And um, I 
when you're in this state and you're treating me this way, like our relationship is so great. I find you so, you know, cool and sexy and attractive. And I just was, I just would love to see how you might be able to be that way more. And I'm, I know a lot of guys, so that's the other fake move. You could say something like, I know a lot of guys who sought help and really enjoyed it, whether, whether that's true or not. So it's not an easy question. I would recommend not approaching it when things are going crappy, but it's like a fight. Fights are best addressed when it's when you're not fighting. Just we let our guard down and we're not all riled up. And there's a lot of science behind that too. So those are some things that keep in mind, but I don't have a a hundred dollar answer to that question. And if you do get it, let me know. Um, But those are some things that come to mind. I think it actually might be a little bit easier as a therapist talking to a male client about that than a, a partner or a wife. And that's not necessarily good news. I'm just being honest. I think that we have those tools to frame and talk about how therapy can be effective. And when we're in a relationship with a man who we don't feel is doing good and can benefit from therapy, how we best frame that need and sense of relief and improvement to them is not necessarily an easy dialogue. You got to be creative. Well, if it's on me to let you know, hear this. You can benefit from therapy. I promise. Also, while I cannot ethically be your therapist if we already know each other, I'm happy to refer you to someone or help you make that leap. This subject means so much to me and so to all of you. And so I want to thank you for listening. And I hope you have a great rest of your year. And as we roll into 2023, I hope we can all make some changes for the better. And I think if we look within ourselves, we might just find a good place to start right there. I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening.